share the word of God with us on this day. God bless us. the Lord at all times and God's praise shall continually be in my mouth you may be seated we give thanks and praise to God this day for God's generosity in our lives he gave us Jesus and Jesus has made all the difference in our lives thanks be to God for the ministry of West Angeles Church to this extraordinary leader, to your pastor and our national and international leader, the visionary, we all wish you a happy 50th anniversary. Bishop Charles Blake and Lady Blake, God bless you. What a joy it is to return to this great church for worship Cheryl and I are often in Atlanta, and before we go out to church, because of the time difference, we're able to view West Angeles online. And we, we leave the house rejoicing, because we've already worshiped with you. So I want to commend all of the technical team. You all don't often get the attention you deserve, but you help to convey 
an important ministry throughout the world. And so thank you to these camera and sound and electronic and technical assistants and leaders. God bless you. Thanks be to God for this extraordinary time in our life, in our nation's history, and in the history of this great church. 50 years, 50 years, my God. And I am so proud to note that Bishop Charles Blake was a graduate of the Interdenominational Theological Center. We call it the ITC in Atlanta. And then his son, Elder Charles, Blake II was there on campus during the years that I served as president. So I helped watch him. I watched him grow up. I didn't teach him. But I saw him, mighty man of God, in the making. And God bless you, Brother Charles. It's such a blessing. Did we not enjoy the extraordinary video affirmations of our bishop today? What a family. God bless you to Elder Lawrence Blake, dynamic preacher, and Elder Charles Blake II, so articulate and charismatic, and to Sister Kimberly Blake. God bless you three. You, you show such grace, and you shine great light on your extraordinary parents, and we commend you for that. And no one knows how to provide a commercial the way Lady Mae Blake does a commercial. <laughs> to all of the saints who gather, and to all of the pulpit associates, clergy here, and those on the front row and throughout the church, missionaries, and those who assist in the great ministry, to my dear wife, Dr. Cheryl Goffney Franklin from Houston, Texas. God sent her to Boston where I met her. And we were married about 33 years ago. God bless you, Cheryl, for walking with me and praying with me through these decades. We are in town this week for a joyous occasion. Cheryl is celebrating her birthday in the coming days and her college roommate is, they share a birthday. And when we learned that her roommate is, was sharing and celebrating the birthday yesterday, we flew out to be a part of that occasion. So I just want to acknowledge our dear friends, her, her husband, the honorable and dynamic preacher, Reverend Jules Bonneries, and Michelle Bonneries, who is the city attorney in Pasadena. God bless you both. We love you. And so as Cheryl announced last night, they are celebrating their 40th birthdays again. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? We also acknowledge dear, dear family who are with us and Whenever I come here, I try to connect with my dear cousins, Deacon Martin Johnson and Sister Paula Bellamy Franklin. God bless you both. Would you stand? We're so glad to see kinfolk here in Los Angeles. We love you.
And then to my dear friends with whom we shared fellowship in their household, who we met many, many years ago, and they have relocated, and you may know the dean of the Charles Drew College of Medicine, Dean Deborah Prothro-Stith, and her husband, Dr. Charles Stith, would you stand? We are so grateful for their leadership here in the city and throughout the nation. Dean Stith and I were students at Morehouse and Spelman. We were classmates. So we go way, way back into the 70s. And then I met her dear husband, a brilliant leader and leader in faith-based economic and community development. And Charles Stith, someone you need to know. We all thought he would succeed. Jesse Jackson had pushed at one point, and we all wanted him to run for Congress. So I don't know what the Lord is doing with this brother. But Charles Stith and Jules Bonaris are names you're going to hear about again in the future. So keep them in mind and in your prayers. God bless you all. Before I move to the Word of God in Luke chapter 4, what an extraordinary Oscars award ceremony last week. Was it just last week? And I had a special joy in my heart. I said, this is a West Angeles Oscar event. When they announced that uh, Sister, when Black Panther won its many awards and Sister Angela Bassett was there and Courtney Vance, we were so delighted. I remember visiting with them in years past here at this very church. And then when young John David Washington was nominated and all of the talent and brilliance in Black Klansmen, those of us at Morehouse College, our, our chests swelled a bit. That young brother, a graduate of Morehouse College, and I visited with his parents uh, earlier when they were growing up, when D young John David was on campus, and they were so proud and praying for his, de his development. So I just want to commend this church's role in nurturing talent and sending forth. And Bishop, I just want to say an, a, a word that many might not fully appreciate, I grew up in Chicago, and as a young man, I recall even a boy listening to the great preachers come through Chicago, your father, Bishop John Blake, and when you were coming through, I, I looked at you as a role model, and intelligent and spirit-filled, I said, I want to be like that one day, had no idea that we would develop this kind of friendship and particularly no idea that this man would someday be elected the presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ. And I remember, Bishop, some of them around the nation would say, the Church of God in Christ's senior leader, spiritual chief, will never reside in California, too far away from Memphis, too different in culture, never happened. But then I saw God breaking up the hard ground. Breaking it up. So after the extraordinary leadership of Bishop Mason and Bishop Patterson and the banner, the, the baton got passed for a while to Philadelphia and Bishop O.T. Jones. And then to Chicago and Bishop L.H. Ford, Lewis Ford, my pastor who nurtured me and my family. And then I say, look at God breaking it up 
breaking up the hard ground, the crusty ground, getting ready for California. And God had him in the pipeline and nobody believed it. Nobody saw it coming. But then those who were wise in God's spirit and in the history of the American church, oh, somebody must have flipped over a page and saw that when Bishop Mason was filled with the Holy Ghost, it was right here in Los Angeles at the Azusa Street Revival. God had already broken up the ground. And then he reached down and found a young son and said, son of Azusa, come on back and lead this great church forward. So Bishop, I am excited about how God connects the dots. I even remember one time seeing Bishop Mason in Chicago. He was at the Williams Temple Church of God in Christ. Whenever you visit Chicago, be sure to make that stop. It's on the tourist stop in Chicago because that's where young Emmett Till was a member. And I remember his mother, Mamie Till, after young Emmett's terrible lynching and murder in Mississippi, they came back to Chicago for that open casket funeral. I hope somebody will be Googling this later because this is a part of your history. And you see those preachers that gather. Oh, my blood would chill when I would learn that because of the Ku Klux Klan in Moni, Mississippi, many of the preachers and black lawyers were af afraid to go into Mississippi after Emmett Till was murdered. But a caravan of preachers, Church of God in Christ and Baptists and AME, they drove their Cadillacs in the morning, Mississippi. It's like, I dare you to mess with us. You ever seen a black preacher in a black Cadillac and then multiply that by about 30 or 40? No, everybody stood back and said, good God, who is this? And they came and they set a tone in that city. Well, they came back and Bishop Mason there in 1960, before he died. He was born in 1864, during the Civil War. Died in November of 1961. And I sat there as a little boy, I was just six years old, and Bishop Mason stood there and talked about the power and holiness of God, how it makes room. He talked about Moses, and he had a preacher on the stage and William Temple Church of God, I'm a little boy sitting in the back, like there's some children here sitting like, what's going on up there? Bishop Mason stood there. When God called Moses, he would say, there was something about the spirit of God in that man. Something about him. He, he would draw people to him. And so he said, Moses, come here. But then he said, Moses, take off your shoes. God is constantly drawing and repelling and drawing, he had the preacher each time he said, God draws you and repels you. Get back, Moses. You can't approach the holiness of God. I saw that preacher running back and forth across the stage. I didn't realize I was getting a theology lesson. 30 years later, I studied a book called The Idea of the Holy, where German theologian Rudolf Otto talks about the two tensions in the Holy Ghost. It draws you, but because of the sin in our lives, we're not ready to be in the presence of the Holy. He repels you, and then he draws you back. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. 
Good God, I said, Lord, Mama, who was that old man talking about? God have us coming and going. What a mighty, mighty God we serve. You all forgive that little historical recollection. But I reflected on this when I thought about our leader from Los Angeles, California. The word of God comes to us today from Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And in the word, Jesus tells a story. Some of you know it as the great parable of the dinner, where Jesus tells a story of inviting people to a banquet table. And it is an extraordinary tale in Luke chapter 4. You all have that on the screen, or should I? He taught in the synagogues. I'm sorry, forgive me. Luke chapter 14. Chapter 14, thank you. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. This is Jesus telling a story. Then Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought a yoke, five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master and the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. So, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. A note of judgment at the end. May God add a blessing to the reading of his sacred word. I want to lift a thought for you this morning by invitation only. By invitation only. Jesus would have loved Los Angeles, would have loved Hollywood, because Jesus was a storyteller. And like the many great directors and producers and actors of this great city, they understood that great stories unfold in generally in three moments, three parts. Situation. Once upon a time, there was situation. Second, the great storytellers move from situation to complication. 
then something went sideways. Something went south. Something went wrong. Complication. Situation, complication, and the third movement in a great story, a great movie, resolution. That's where we come out at the end. Sometimes we make a joke, we say, oh, they, they gave a Hollywood ending to this story. They wanted everybody happy when they walked out. They want you to cry a little into your popcorn during the complication. But they really want you, they try to work it out. Resolution, stage three, so that when you leave, there is a sense of contentment. And Bishop, I would dare say that there are probably many here today who are living their lives in these three moments. Sister Welsh, they probably are focusing on right now, I'm in just a situation. I'm just moving along. Some of us are in the middle of complication. There's some stuff going on, right? You came here this morning because you in a complicated. Uh-huh. But reason why this was your destination, why you're watching at home today, is because resolution happens when you bring it to God. You don't know how the ending goes. God has got the resolution. You ought to just whisper that to yourself. God has my resolution already worked out. Hallelujah. That ought to make somebody feel good this morning. God, he knows your, your complication, but God has got your resolution already scripted. And other players, Shakespeare say, will come and they will go and they will play their parts. But God has your resolution in mind. And so as you look at Luke 14, and I hope each of you will go back, reread this little story. Jesus loved this story because Jesus loved to eat. And I think he had a special passion in telling this particular story. So imagine, or once upon a time, a man hosted a great banquet and no one showed up. Complication. Look in on this banquet room. On that extraordinary day, the servers are in place. The host was an extraordinary man. He would spare no expense to find the finest fruits and meats and vegetables anywhere they would, could be found to offer his guests the best on his table. Beluga caviar from Russia. Alaskan king salmon. Sparkling wines of Italy. Ah, he spared no expense. But there was also not just the wonder of a great menu. There was something about social chemistry that this host loved. He loved getting a group of different and diverse people together in the same place, working together, enjoying fellowship together. And so he sends the word out. Go, my servant, and let them know the meal is now ready. Let's look in on this banquet hall. Look at the candles on all of the tables. They emit a soft, radiant orange light. You can see the servers are all in place in their crisp white garments, ready to serve. You can hear the soft music from the Quincy Jones Orchestra playing in the background. 
Where are the guests? Where are the guests? Meanwhile, down in the valley, walking through the streets of the city, the servant goes back to say, come now, for the meal is ready for you. The practice in ancient cultures was that an early invitation would go out. This is before people had timepieces and calendars. And so they would send the word early. Then the servant would go in person to knock on the door and alert the household. The meal is now ready. Please come. And he thinks to himself as he walks along that valley, into the lanes, into the streets, an invitation. What an extraordinary process. For it says that this person of influence invites you, you of all people, to be present in this time, in this special place. And the invitation implies if you do not respond, the evening will be somehow less than memorable. Why, well, I'll bet everyone loves an invitation like that. And so onward he goes, but the first stop disappoints. Please come, the meal is now ready for you. Uh, I cannot come, for you see, I have just uh, purchased some land, and I must go to survey my land. The servant is disappointed as he walks away and thinks, that's an odd response. I mean, that land isn't going anywhere. He could come to the dinner. He could come to my boss's table, but I wonder if that really means, here he's engaged, Brother Lawrence, in what we call in the seminary, a hermeneutic of suspicion. <laughs> All that is a fancy way of saying, because you've done it, when you heard people give you an excuse, and you think there's something else going on, <laughs> and your mind goes to, what else is going on? Because this excuse is a little flimsy, this is, this is a little shaky. I bought land and I have to go serve it now? I wonder if it really means the last time I came to your dinner party, the people at that table interrogated my priorities. They asked me what I'm doing with all the money I make. They asked about how philanthropic and generous I was to the church. I don't need a dinner party like that. Couldn't get to sleep after that dinner struggling with my value system. Onward he goes, come, sir, for the meal is now ready for you. Uh, I cannot come, I'm sorry, you, for you see, uh, I have just purchased a team of oxen, and I must go to prove them, make sure they will be productive. The first excuse was about, about prosperity. But when I see this team of muscle-bound oxen, the excuse why they can't come to dinner, what I see is an image of power, an obsession with power. I see those great oxen. He wants to ensure they are more powerful than any others. My button, nuclear button, is bigger than your nuclear button. And they end up in an oxen race or an arms race because of the obsession with power and the appearance of power. Onward he goes as the messenger grows disappointed. Sir, please come. The meal is now ready for you. 
Um, I cannot come for you see I have just married I've taken a wife I cannot come messenger thinking is suspicion yeah you mean your sex life has been awakened from the dead <laughs> he is perturbed that these excuses prosperity this is not helping my, my, my bank account Power, this doesn't make me more powerful than my other neighbors. And pleasure, I'm so obsessed with everything I do has to make me feel better. And if this party is uncomfortable, I don't need it. And so onward, back toward an empty banquet hall, the servant returns. He knows his boss will be perturbed in the distance. You can see the boss, the silhouette pacing back and forth. And then he reports. They consider these legitimate excuses. They could have come. They could have come. Well, now go out to the other side of town. Go to that other zip code. Scripture says, go to the streets and the lanes. Compel them to come. And now look at this brother. The emergency room of the hospitals. Lifting the brokenhearted and those broken in body. Look at him there in the cancer hospice center. In the ward where AIDS patients are living and struggling to thrive. Look at him there in the prison reentry center. As people previously incarcerated prepare to come back to our neighborhood. There he is and do you know what? They follow without any questions asked. Now look at this picture. As they walk back toward that banquet hall, they can see the boss peeking out the window, and this messenger gets a little nervous because he knows the boss has prepared on this table roast pheasant covered with lemon-orange glaze. Bowls of steaming hot brown rice with white raisins. Bowls of spinach salad with slithered almonds and mandarin orange slices. And then they, they share this hot peach cobbler with a scoop of vanilla haagen ice cream melting on the side. And the servant's success worries him. Is my boss going to serve these folk the roast pheasant? But the master is delighted. I've spread a table with my best for you. Sit down and enjoy. But the scriptures, look at Luke 14. It says, but still there were empty tables. Go back, go back, go back, but this time you're going to travel a little further. Go out, I love the way the King James Version puts it, preachers. Go out to the hedges and highways. Good God Almighty. Hedges, highways, the border communities, folks trying to get under and over the wall. Hedges and highways. Go there and find my children. Go and invite the women who are running from their crazy boyfriends and pimps. Go to those parlors where young women who are being trafficked 
of providing services for billionaire NFL owners. Go! Get out of here, man. Go find some real people. And now, now look at the room. Not a table empty, not a seat empty, not a, not a plate empty. And the boss surveys this extraordinary chemistry and he says, but for an invitation, this room would be empty. An invitation so simple and yet, look, look at the magic. An invitation. Could we say that the best things in life are by invitation only? Darling, I want you to marry me, an invitation. Or you were invited by this presidential committee to be present for the inauguration of President Kamala Harris, an invitation. Or come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest, an invitation. Three quick words before I take my seat. As I read Luke 14, as you will do later in the privacy of your study, there's something that grabs me, Bishop. Three little insights that are lurking there. You have to look carefully to see. First of all, the table God invites us to. This morning, God invites us to his table. The table is God's table. It's not our table. That's number one. Hold on to that. Because a lot of us church folk think the table belongs to us. And we work on rules to exclude people. Huh? We want to find ways to make it difficult to get to the table. Did you not read Luke 14? It's God's table. It's not the United Methodist table who want to keep folk away. It's not the Lutheran table or the Baptist. It's not the Church of God in Christ table who may exclude certain folk. It's God's table. And you are welcome. That's number one. The second is that when we sit to dine at this table, oh, it is extraordinary. Our menus may differ. We are at the same table. Looks like all the food is the same, but the prescribed menu for you may be a little different from the person you're seated next to. Same table, different menus. In other words, people who have been powerless, people who have been, as Ralph Ellison wrote in his classic novel, invisible women and invisible men, they may need a different, they may need a high protein diet. Because women have been excluded. High protein gives them some strength to speak up and speak out. Push these men, not push them aside, but respectfully move forward. High protein. God's feeding some high protein people today. And then the people who always been in power, always been in control, always been in a position of privilege and authority. Sometimes God, you know what God does? Oh, God has a sense of humor. God gives them a high fiber diet. Yeah, that's the break up, move. Oh, well, okay, enough of that, enough of that. High fiber, high fiber. 
We're sitting at the same table. But it depends on what it is you need to work through situation and complication to resolution. And then the final point is when you leave this table, good God Almighty, we leave with our pockets, every one of us this morning, our pockets stuffed with new invitations. And that means that God sends you forth from this service today, from this communion table, with your pockets stuffed with invitations. In other words, God wants you to go wherever you're going today or going this week to feed and to invite other people. Come to this table if you're broken today. Oscar Wilde says, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. Oh, that ought to be good news for some bad folk. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. Y'all come on to this table today. Come to the table where you can be blessed of God. David came and David had lust in his heart. Life all messed up. Moses came to the table. He had blood on his hand. He should have been incarcerated. Look at Peter. He came to the table. He had anger in his heart. Look at the sons of Zebedee. They were filled with pride and ambition. But Jesus is whispering to all of us, there's room at the table for you. There's room at the cross for you. There's room today. And so when we invite, you ought to respond because you need some resolution in your life today. Plenty good room. Plenty good room. There's plenty good room in my Father's kingdom. Plenty good room. Plenty good room. Just choose your seat and sit down. Come by invitation only. invitation will you respond by saying Lord Jesus I want to give you my life I want my sins forgiven I believe that you are the son of God I believe you died for my sins and arose from the dead I want to accept you as savior and as Lord clarion call to someone who needs to be saved, who needs to be forgiven. You came to church not knowing what to expect, but here it is. You are invited. You're selected by God for salvation and for life eternal. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you would say, preacher, pray for me. I want to accept the invitation. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. If that's you, lift your hand so that I'll know to pray for you and to include you in this time of prayer. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus as my Savior. My life filled with pain 
regret, failure, Jesus can fix it. Raise your hand if that's you. Lift it high. Pray for me, preacher. Pray for me. Dear Lord, I pray for those hands uplifted. By your grace, you brought your people here today. And you selected some for salvation. They recognize your call. They've raised their hands. They want to be saved. Transform their lives by your power. You love them so much that you died for them. Now save them. Set them free from those things that hold them in bondage. Transform their lives in Jesus' name. Repeat this prayer after me, everybody. Dear Lord, I'm sorry. All of my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me and rose from the dead. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Lord. I am forgiven. I am saved. I have new life. Come on, everybody, and praise God. And magnify him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even those who would believe on his name. Lift your hand again if that was you that lifted your hand before. Lift it now. If you accepted Jesus, if you prayed for salvation, I want to be the first to congratulate you on having all your sins forgiven and on having Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Let's praise God with him, saints. Come on, let's praise God. If you lifted your hand, if you prayed with me, I want to be the first to congratulate you on being saved. I want to shake your hand. I want to give you literature that you can read. I want to give you an opportunity to be a part of the church. I want your name on my prayer list. I want to pray for you. I want to write you a letter of encouragement. If you lifted your hand, please come forward now. And this call also goes out to those who would like to join the church. Not only those who wish for salvation, but if you're already saved and you